What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DeQuisto Series podcast. Today we have part two of the Benton Roadshow Q&A. Hopefully this podcast finds you skipping out of work or your daily duties and heading to a nearby piece of ground or property to look for some bone. Shed season is in full swing, and man, I'm getting itched to walk. I have not personally done so yet, but the snow is melting, the sun's in the sky, and I'm going to be getting out there very soon. If you pick up any slammer sheds this year, or any sheds for that matter, be sure to snag a photo and tag Lone Wolf Custom Gear Shed Contest. We're going to be kicking off an annual shed contest on our social media platforms. Look for the details of that launching on Instagram and Facebook very soon. It's an awesome opportunity to submit a picture and win some badass custom gear prizes. Part two, we get into a lot of awesome topics in the second half. We talk a little thermals. We talk stand setup, the importance of scouting, being mobile, permanent sets, carrying gear, trail cameras, cold climate hunting, bumping deer, and applying pressure, and much more. Well, with that being said, we're going to kick into this part two of the Q&A from Benton, Pennsylvania Roadshow. Enjoy. There you have it. That is really getting jacked up. What we got next, boss? All right. How do you use thermals and how do you read thermals easily? The wind bottle. The wind indicator right there. So using thermals to your advantage, um, man, this is such a complex topic that um, we, I, I feel like we could really go for a long time on this. Yeah, um, you could. I mean, the basic I, concept of thermals is heat rises and cool air settles. So when you have things warming up, what are you expecting to happen? The, the warm air rising. When things are cooling down, you know, and in the evening it's cooling down, you can kind of expect your wind and, and the thermals to settle down a little bit. Yeah, and, and once you, like using the like devices to check that, and once you understand that concept, you can start to look at your spots and look at your property in the retrospect of like, okay, um, I can expect some lift here with the thermals. I can expect some, some, some fall toward the evening or the morning. And it's important to look at temperature too. Now, that's, that's most of the time, but... If you're not really getting any temperature changes, or sometimes it'll actually be getting hotter into the night, but with the sun going down, usually you get some, you get some fall. But, so here's, here's an example. This might be interesting to some of you guys. Um, I killed a buck a couple years ago. I had a wind. It was a south wind. It was blowing right at my back. Anybody looks at it then, they're like, what the hell are you doing? Your wind is blowing right at that trail, right at that scrape. Well, what it was is actually, so it was a, it's a big finger coming out of a big chunk of timber, right? Inside that finger is like this treacherous crack. The trail that the deer was using was on the other side of that crack, and I was hunting it with a direct wind blowing right at where I was gonna shoot this deer. And I knew as soon as, those, as, soon as that sun went down, I was gonna get a thermal pull, and all of them thermals were gonna suck right down that crack. And that buck came out and I shot him at like 16 yards, right after he worked that scrape and milled around. And I could literally feel the wind on the back of my neck. But it's an example of like once you start to understand what thermals do, you can actually use them to your advantage like big time. And it gets more tricky when you get into big, big timbers inside of, you know, ridge sides and, and what they're doing or even, you know, uh, in Iowa, we got a lot of uh, uh, 
riverbank stuff, like all like rock bluff. And that stuff is real tricky because if you get real low in those bottoms, like it's almost like that the thermals just bang stuff around and it just swirls and twists. And, and honestly, in, th in those situations, there's really no way to know until you just check it. Thermals can, strong thermals can even overpower wind direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you have a strong pool down a south basin slope, it can even outdo a north blowing wind if, if you got a good thermal pool. Um, one of the things I really learned about thermals too is hunting on the edge of creeks. I have a that. spot, I hunt near an edge of a creek, I drop it and it can be blown right to the creek. It hits that cold water creek and it's almost like a wind tunnel. It just sucks straight down the creek with that cool water and air. And I know, even though my wind is blowing to the creek, as soon as it's on the other side of the creek, I'm golden. All my thermals are getting sucked with that cold water. And there's a difference into like, if you have a creek that's like a flowing creek where that water stays cold versus like stagnant water, that's gonna stagnant draw. Stagnant holds heat. It yep. holds heat. So like, it's gonna hold that thermal way different than it will like, my one of my bread and butter my bread and butter properties this year was a was a long creek bottom like a mile and a half creek bottom and this creek just rolls through it all year and you can set up i mean it, it's hard not to be bulletproof when that creek is moving because it pulls your scent straight into the water it's crazy you know unless they're crossing that creek if they're running the creek banks like i'm looking for cruising deer on creeks the buck i shot this year i shot in a creek finger where he was coming from where my wind was blowing to, my wind blew to the creek and then sucked right down the creek, and he crossed right above where that wind was curving my thermals back. It's cold air, hot air. And yeah. Thermals are just... Thermals is nothing more but N equals in temperature and the temperature trying to equalize. That's really all it is. Your mind is, is a powerful thing. and I mean, if your mind's in it, it you're... You're gonna do well, and I firmly believe that. There's something I like to re like to refer as like like a winner's mindset, right? I've never been the type of guy to do something just to do it, or just like oh, like I'm I'm gonna join I'm gonna join a, a a basketball league to just have fun and play basketball. I'm always like, all right, well let's let's build a team and let's win. That's just how I am. So when I enter the timber and when I go in there, it's not like I just always have the mindset of it, 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 there's never a question. It's just okay. How long is it going to take? That's my only mindset. It's not when I'm going to get that deer or if I'm going to get that deer, it's when it's going to happen. So, and because of that, I make the right choices. You know, I always feel good about where I'm at. If you don't feel good about it, go somewhere else. Like it's no point to sit a shit spot if your mind's not in it. And even, you know, we can, we can go into this real crazy stuff and talk about the sixth sense that these deer have and they can sense that stuff. I mean, if you tell anybody that tells me that a deer can't sense, uh, you know, nervousness or just bad vibes, that's bullshit because I've seen them. I've seen it. I've seen it many times. I've been in the game with a lot of deer, and they do. They'll catch you slipping. Um, and I'm sure you guys figure this out. If something walks through that you don't want to shoot, it seems like it has no idea you're there. All of a sudden, that big boy pops his head out. You start getting rattled. That fucker, he, 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 he bugs out. Your wind's good. You got nothing, no excuses. You didn't move. They know that stuff. I mean, like, they do. I'm 100% a believer in that. And your own decision-making process is different. If you're sitting in a spot and you're not that confident, yeah. you're not going to have yeah. your bow ready, you're not going to have your head on a swivel and paying attention, you're going to be 
getting lazy, cold, fidgeting, and that's when you make mistakes. If you're confident and you're in it, you make better decisions. Um, and like I said, any little decision. 100%. That's difference. a good point, too. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be um, – if you've already defeated – I mean, if, you, if there's so much doubt in your mind, like just – Whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's Truth. it right there. Um, okay, let's get let's let's get to the next one. Here. All right, okay. So, uh, thoughts on permanent set locations versus running gun? I think it's important to have both. I mean, depending on what you're hunting, obviously, if you can't leave a permanent setup, it it you know doesn't lend to that. But um, you can be mobile with permanent setups. Like you can set something, and as soon as that spot goes cold, move it. But it's always dumb. Like sometimes guys getting so much of the mentality like oh no i gotta be like running the gun or like hanging the stand that they overlook an awesome spot that like i've seen i've seen big bucks come out right under ladder stands like i mean and i've and people shoot big bucks like that all every year at some point in time somewhere i mean so don't just put those out because they're a permanent set like they can be beneficial um move when you need to don't move when you don't that's what I'd say. I, I used to I used to have a lot of permanent stand setups when I had more private property to hunt. Now I'm pretty much all public. But even the private properties that I have, I no longer have sticks and stands there because they're piece of shit stands I bought from Walmart for thirty bucks that don't hang up hold up. They hang, they creak, they make noise, the sticks make noise. I have trees that I will go back to like a permanent setup. But I'm using my mobile setup. That's you know, it, it, yeah. it may be kind of a permanent setup. I know the tree I'm going to. I know when I'm going there and why. But I don't really have stands set up anymore. I mean, one, yeah, I was trying to get the content and everything. But I got so mad about having an efficient, quiet system, leaving it in the truck just to get to my permanent setup. And it make this loud creak or whatever. And I'm like, well, I should have just brought my other shit. Um, yeah. So now instead of having money and stands all over, what I'll sometimes do is I'll take extra sticks. Instead of leaving a stand, I may just leave a single stick or two in the tree. That's my permanent setup. So I walk right in, I throw my .5, I hang, I'm good. Tips on packing in a crossbow with a setup. I think, ooh, that, I think that's going to be dependent on the style of crossbow, what setup you choose. Um, I know that those quick, uh, those uh, universal connector straps are pretty handy for just strapping random things. So whether you got your crossbow in a case or whatnot, like I am almost positive, we can come up with a good way to, to rig it to a stand. And especially with that frame pack feature on like the custom gear ones, you know, you can set the base of the weight on that thing, and I don't think it'd be a problem at all. Yeah, some of them are tiny now, so yeah, yeah. now they're real small. Um, I don't know if you got anybody ever crossbow. I don't have any experience to. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I obviously don't run a crossbow. I mean, my my like older guys in the family. My dad will run one, you know, and we'll occasionally take like you can take. Um, that's the nice thing about the frame pack features. Like some of these, like small western rucks or small western packs that you can strap a crossbow on. If you're going to do that, you can strap that on and then strap that pack with the crossbow onto the seat that's on your good. point five or your one point oh. And then it's all together and it's one thing. Now, granted, if you're using a crossbow and you're carrying it like that, you're going to have more setup time when you get to the tree because you got more stuff to untether. But, you know, I would, if it were me, I would say look at some of those Western packs that would fit on which setup you're going to run and then strap your, figure out how you want to strap your crossbow to that and then strap it to your stand. 
it's pretty hard for me not to be carrying my weapon though. Yeah. Like, yeah. You just never know. See, that's something I've always I, I I've I've never carried a bow when I scouted. And everybody hears that and they're like, Oh man, like what? But there's been a lot of times where I could have smoked one. Hundred percent. Like so I that's I don't always carry one scout, but I have killed deer going to and from my stand yeah. location. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I was about yeah. to say I don't ever yeah. care I really don't ever carry one scouting. If I'm scouting it's like I'm I'm trying to kick him up usually or find where he's at. You know, if I'm like, scouting, I'm not usually quiet. I'm just trying to cover ground. Yeah, so, but thing, if yeah. I'm going into my spot, I'm right. already That's stealthy, and you know. <clears throat> um, okay. What is your strategy for running trail cameras? Um, so in the past, you know, when I was running cameras a, like a little bit more, I mean, I haven't really been running them at all, but I've always been an advocate of the fact. Use the trail cameras only to get intel. Don't get hung up on them. They're very, they're like addicting. They're, they're very easy to, to start to like want to see the pictures all the time and want to mess with them. I would suggest set them out in locations to get good intel, get images of deer that you know are there then, and then just kind of forget about them. Let them sit. Look at the pictures later. Um, focus on hunting rather than looking at the trail cameras. That's what yeah, I would say. This past season, um jumped the buck up out of his bed and uh, later noticed there was a nice rub pretty close to that. I made a mock scrape kind of between the two and set a camera on it and got got right much footage of him. But that was able, <clears throat> I was able to pull the weather data and all off of those dates and kind of correlate that and really draw it out. And it makes a nice picture of, uh, of some kind of pattern. And then you can go work with that. Just laying it out and Making it visible on paper really helped me. Yeah, I, I've even physically been in spots <clears throat> and then marked it on my on X. And then when I look at it in an overhead view on on X, like you're saying, you you can sometimes see that ge geography or that geometric pattern a little bit different um, than on the ground. I'm a big <clears throat> fan of like, so if I'm going to use a trail camera at this point, at least in what my strategy is like I'm running it all season and then I'll check it coming in and out of the woods a little bit but I usually am leaving it there and then um, and then I'm I'm basing it off of like at the end of season I can look back at all those pictures and images and identify hey that buck was here second week of October he was cruising through or he was checking scrapes or he was doing this you know and then I'm using that historic data versus you know that Sometimes I'll get in the moment data, like if I'm going to a stand, I'll check a camera, or coming out of a stand, check a camera. But I'm usually leaving them up and leaving them in spots where, you know, I'm not worried about whether they're in daylight or dark or whatnot. I think there's a difference in inventorying and then setting up a game plan on a specific Yeah, yeah that's definitely yeah, true. Definitely. I didn't use trail cams before, but the capability of the yeah. lone wolf camera, every now and then I will have one in my pack because if I find that super hot scrape all of a sudden, I can stay back. I don't have to get close on that scrape and put the camera right on the scrape. I can stay back from it. I can put the zoom on it. I can set it for nighttime or daytime only or whatever. Um, I do the same thing. Most of my cameras I leave out in the tree and a lot of times I forget where they even are. Um, but I usually have one that I'll deploy for maybe just a couple days at a time, maybe two or three different times a season when I find the right spot. If we want to find a new area that we have a feeling that 
there's something going on that we really haven't encroached into yet. We've, we'll throw one out, let it soak for a little bit, go back in, and it mainly during early season, we'll go in, check it. If we have the intel we need, I'm done. I'm not going back in until season starts. Um, and then other than checking camera cards, going in while I'm hunting, I try to hit them as I go in if I'm, if I'm going to that one, you know what I mean? But other than that, I just stay out or hit it when it's, you know, raining or whatever. I sometimes leave a camera. I'll go in, I'll hunt, I'll hunt a scrape or whatever it is, and then I'm like, well, it didn't show up. I may not hunt it for a few days. I'm going to leave this trail cam, and I'll just get it whenever I come back. So it's kind of, if I don't get the intel I want from the hunt, I might leave it in that spot. But it's it's either a long-term set or a very a short-term, short term. Yeah. And, it's, and it's in and pooled. I'm not going back in and out and checking it. Right. It's either there for a long time or it's only there for, you know, till the next time I'm in that I'm pulling it. I think it's important, and wrap this up before Cody goes to the next question, like, it's important to know that, like, or to rem- remember that that's not, your camera's not a substitute for your in-season scouting or running off a fresh sign. Like, like. <laughs> it almost sounds like one of, like, drug messages. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true, it's though. It's, it's a serious thing. Like, all these, no, like, that, it's touching on it's, it. So, he's putting camera on fresh sign right. to identify See, that. It's, it, it comes down to laziness, too. A lot of people want to just toss a camera out there because, oh, I can just toss a camera. I'm telling you, right, those cameras don't, don't get a fraction of what you think they're getting. No. Now, on a scrape, it's a different story. If a scrape lights up and you want to see what's hitting that scrape, you'll get it. But these guys putting trail cameras on transitions or just in property and then, then having the thought that they can just eliminate that area by that camera intel is dumb. Com- completely dumb. If you're one of those guys that's doing that, I'm sorry, but it's dumb. Stop doing it. Um, I've, I have literally hunted. Around, I do it all the time. I hunt farms with other guys who all run cameras. I'll hunt farms with, I hunted a farm this past year with 16 cameras on it. And I just hunt around them. And I watch deer freaking just like, deep, just pop, you know, I'm, oh, he didn't get a picture of that one. Oh, I mean, it, you know, it happens. Like, you know, they're not catching everything. And if you're using that, like you said, it don't, don't have it be a sub, it's not a scouting substitute. It's an additional tool uh, to do other stuff. Um, anyway, all right, next one. Tony, can I, can I make a 30 second announcement? Uh, I'm Kent Robbins, a camping chairman here at Columbia Montour Council, and I just want to say thank you very much for coming out and helping support our camp. We really appreciate you guys being here, and also thank you, gentlemen, and your staff for coming today. Yeah, Thanks thank you. Us. Awesome, appreciate, appreciate it. More in the future. Oh, yes. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so this, this is um, uh, buckleless or buckle and why. We'll go over this in the tree stand hang workshop. Uh, I'm a fan of the buckles. Uh, some, a lot of these guys run buckleless. We're going to have demonstration on how to do both properly, and then you guys can make your assumption. Um, we can, we'll talk a little bit more in depth on that, that. That's the greatest thing about you guys being here today yeah, for this you workshop. Can, you can try them. You're not reading Facebook reviews. You're not just getting my opinion or his. Walk up to the tree. Grab it. Put one on with a buckle. Put one on the stand with a buckle. Put one on the tree without. Figure out what you like, what you want. We all do yep. it different. So th- and, this is the best chance to really figure out what you want. And leading right into that, the next question is 1.0.5 and why or which sticks? I think that re- it's just it's such a user preference. And I think, I don't know, who, whoever did this question, like I encourage you to just step on both of them. Uh, put, put both of them on your back. Uh, it's really going to be what you're doing. I mean, 
if you're a guy who likes a lot of platform room, I would go with the 1.0. If you don't care, go with the 0.5. It's lighter. If you want, if, if weight is your number one thing you want to minimize, then 0.5 for sure. You know, if so, I mean, but they both they both are awesome setups, and it's just personal preference. And same thing with the sticks. You heard Garrett and I talk about our difference. Like, I like the regulars. He likes the doubles. They're both awesome. They both get the job done. It's just, you know, you might have your different. Um, so that will be more clarifying too in the tree stand anywhere shot, which is next. Mid-season scouting, setting a stand on, setting a stand while scouting mid-season, setting a stand on. Oh, so that mid-season. I think, I think like what they're asking is, um, how do you know when to sit? Is it for whoever asked that question? You know, is, if you yeah, if you if you mind it, to yeah, if you mind to clarify, like, are you asking how do you set a stand when you're scouting mid-season, or how do you know when to set a stand when you're scouting each season? I think that was my question. Um, just kind of like like what you do mid-season, like say you hunt morning, you're not seeing anything. Like, are you are you throwing like, throwing that stand on your back and, and, and going and finding somewhere else, finding that fresh sign? Yeah, hundred yep. percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it. That's the point of mobile. Yeah, the you you, you got to be in the right spot. Right there, get there. And that's what's awesome. That's why these things are designed is for like. It's just like, you know, um, you got to stay with what's going on, and that stuff changes all the time. So you need to be able to do it and do it efficiently. So, so yes, I, I, I mean, mid-season scouting is, is huge. Um, it's the only time I really scout. I, just, I have a lot of times mid-season and especially, like, you know, kind of pre-rut or late season um, where I go in to scout the hunt and I end up just scouting the whole time. I if I don't see the sign I want, then I don't set up. You know, I just figure it's it's especially late season. If the deer are not there, they're just yeah. not there. Yeah. I mean, so if I'm not seeing the sign, I go in with every intention to set my stand and hunt. I may get there and say, oh, I'm going home and get dinner, or I just go scout another property. Um, Something I'm not as good at as Cody is, but Cody will actually get down like in his set if he's not seeing what he wants and then move like 60 100 yards and get back up in the tree and sit for another hour or two if he feels like it's the right spot you know it's something that he's pitched to me a handful of times and i'm trying to work into my process more but you know going back to the mobility thing just the ability to adjust and switch and move you know and not feel like you're tied to one specific spot is important Do, do you feel like you do that more now with this system than ever before um no just because I've I, I, I've always done that, but then again, I've always been using somewhat of this system. I mean, this system makes it easier. It's quicker, but I've always done it. Um, so I was asking because I specifically do. It used to – it was enough work to get in a tree, especially setting up cameras and everything. A lot of times oh, see, I'm like, yeah. I'm just staying here. Well, but and that's now the thing. with this system, yeah. if I'm confident I need to be over there 60 yards, I'm getting down, I'm moving yeah. 60 yards. It's so much easier than yeah. it used to be to set up, break down um, the system. We, we keep going back to that one word, system. Yep, yep, and it, it's true. Um, and, yeah, so that that's a huge thing. It's a huge – it's it's really helped me over the years um, be in the right spot and make the right moves, and uh, you just can't yeah, – if it's not happening, you gotta, you got to make it happen. Uh, it's not going to come to you. you gotta you got to go for it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the last question on here, I believe. Uh, Oh, there oh, there was one more. How do you choose Oh, no, how do you attach late season clothing? And I think this might have been answered in my breakdown like my me personally, I got that bungee on my seat and then I got the big gear tie to wrap around, but it always goes on the stand and that's how I strap my stuff down. 
My my skinny ass gets cold, and I also sweat a lot. So I can't wear a lot of gear out, or I sweat, and then I'm freezing. So my basic setup is I, I, I usually have on a pair of bibs that I can vent all the way down the sides. So I'm wearing my bibs in, but they're not really heating me up. And then I have a, uh, a first light jacket. It was kind of expensive, but for the warmth, for the packability of it, it's great. I can fold it down about this big and it doesn't matter how cold or wet it gets. And that I just clip, I, I got a couple clips on my book bag that it literally sits right on the outside. But uh, I always carry in my last outside layer. I, I always have at least one layer once I'm up, my body temperature's cooling down, I then put my final layer on. Um, For me, I pack mine uh, tied in with that fanny pack. So I actually will strap that, strap it between the stand and the fanny pack. I cinch it down real tight. It's just one less thing I have to worry about. Um, and then on that note, because I know it's probably a down piece you're talking about, right? The packable piece? No, actually, it's just it's just real warm. It's almost like wearing a sleeping bag, but it's it's just like warm. But yeah, it packs almost like down. If down. you guys aren't, if you're not hunting with some sort of like a down vest or a down jacket, like you're missing out. Yeah. Like you need to incorporate some sort of like a down piece to your system. It packs super easy. It's super light. I resisted it for a long time because... Going up in the south, you just wear cotton, you wear hoodies, you wear whatever. If you're cold, you're cold. Um, it's made a huge difference for me. Uh, some of you guys may have been doing it for a long time. You know, having, you know, I'll pack a jacket and a vest into a ball, like, yay big, and it straps on my stand, and I'm good down to 15, 20 degrees. You know, so the more efficient you can make your setup, the smaller you can make your profile, even your clothes, like, the more effective you're going to be. I'm a little more squatch-like, but I... I take uh, a hoodie and just kind of like roll it up and I'll stuff it in my bungee that I wrapped on the bottom side of my seat. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, and if that's not enough, I might take a vest and just shove it in my pack. But that's really, it doesn't get that cold in Virginia. It got cold some, but not anything. I, I didn't need any more than that. Yeah, I'll just roll mine up like a little hoagie and strap it to the, the, the front of it around those speed buttons or whatever, the bristle buttons. And then I have a bungee underneath my... Uh, seat that I can throw a vest or something. I'd rather go in cold, and then yeah. once I get up in there, kind of, yeah. you know. And that's why I try to attach it to my pack too, so it's not something I gotta attach or detach from the stand, and then to something else for the climb. It's already on my pack for the climb and everything. I think that was good. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> did, was that? You guys have any questions before we before we wrap up and get to the workshop? Yeah, we'll start hanging some stands and, and going through some. So you find the sign and you hunt that that spot. But you figure you didn't bump any deer out and the wind's in your favor, but you didn't see any deer that night. Do you go with a one and done approach or do you go back again? That's a good question. What time uh, of year are you talking uh, is one big thing. Um, I would I would hunt it again, man. Yeah. I, 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 my rule is generally three. Yeah, that's wrong, what I didn't too. see any deer from that sit. Well, so here's the thing. I think that a lot of people are getting cracked and they don't even know it. But if you're confident that you got in there, didn't mess anything up, and it's it's a good spot's a good spot. Like, and there's sometimes where you'll go, you're hunting in the right spot. The deer's just not coming through there when you're there. That happens a lot. I mean, another hunter could have bumped those deer the other direction. I mean, a coyote could have pushed some deer from coming their normal pattern that day. I usually say three hunts. I'll, I'll give a spot three hunts, and usually I'll try to even, 
if I think it's an afternoon spot and I'm not seeing anything in the afternoon, I'm going to throw in a morning hunt. Is that sign happening in the morning? I'm not a deer. I'm not an expert. I have an idea what deer might be doing, but I don't know for sure. So I, I usually give it three sits, and if then nothing's happening, I figure they're busting me in some way I don't know about. I need to figure it out before I try it again. I've missed I've missed deer by, I swear, 20 minutes. Like, I mean, I just get there, and they were there right before me. Um, you know, and, and the opposite. I leave, and they come right after I leave. So uh, this past year, I think I hunted, yeah, I hunted a spot. I usually don't do this. I'm usually out of there very quickly. Usually I am like a one and done, but if I'm very confident about the spot, I, I'll sit it as long as I need to, as long as there, the, the conditions will allow me to. Along the same lines, if you're pushing in towards a bedding area and you you find them there and it's early and you bump them out, and is it turning into a bump and dump for you guys? And then you're just that's it. You blew it out. If, if he doesn't come back, that's it. You're not going back. I uh, that buck right there on the top. I bumped him and put my face paint on. Did an interview and he was coming back in. Uh, just gotta. It depends on how you bump him. To me. Uh, I think one of the biggest things about bumping deer is, is it a visual bump, yeah, right. an audio bump, or did they smell you? If yeah. a deer sees you or hears you, the bumps usually don't last nearly as long as if a deer gets your wind. And if he really gets your wind, I, sometimes I think they have your wind. Like, they know you are the threat. Um, I guess that's just personal. In, you never know. In, but. in that deer's case... Uh, he was bedded kind of behind some does, and the does could hear me coming up through the bottom, and they jumped up. When I got to the top, I could see him slipping away. Um, so he didn't see me, and the wind was good for me. So it was just the does could hear me, and that was it. Just he didn't know what you were. You just he, he had no idea. Yep. I mean, it, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from, like, if you kick him up, like the deer that I killed this year, I bumped the day before I, ki I, I killed him. He was with a doe bedded on that point in a river. And I got down to the stand, 9 a.m., went slipping by, kicked them up from about 60 yards the following morning. I was set up where I kicked them up out of and shot him at 7.30 on the same doe. I mean, I'm assuming it's the same doe because he was just pushing her. But I don't think that it's as big of a deal as, as people give it credit for. Um, the guy Cody referenced earlier, Jake, who was at the last show, one of the things he and I talked a lot about is, like, he's unless you really – start pushing him hard he's not he'll just move he's going to move in that property around you but he's that's his it's his house he's not leaving you know at least he's not i mean unless you really you know yeah, kick him in the shape repetitive repetitive bumps will definitely change that that's where you know like i was saying going in and checking trail cams all the time if you bump that deer once or twice hunting might not be a big deal if you're checking a trail cam every week and you're always letting them know you're there may change his core area altogether or the time patterns that he's moving and there's a difference in bumping them on the ground and from the stand like if you bump them on the ground i don't think my personal opinion is that i don't think they care at all like they're I so they do if they smell you oh yeah well, i think the audio and yeah. visual maybe not so Te much but and technically there's nothing i wouldn't say there's such thing as bumping something from the stand that's getting busted well, True. same thing. <laughs> that's, that's, no, that's a whole different story, though. I mean, that's... It is, around. it is. Yeah. But when you're setting up, are you all but giving the deer your win? Like, trying to set up on that edge? Like, the scenario you talked about, like, do you feel like it's more important that they 
feel comfortable come to there than hey the wind's directly in my face and everything's in my favor. Like are are you more often setting up on that hairy edge? Yeah. There's there's times where you don't have to and you'll get you, you know it, it, I hate to say the word situational so much, but it does make a difference. But yes, I knew in that sense too. I wanted the wind going that way because he was probably going to be working that edge and checking. There was a big woodlot behind me, just across this little strip, and I knew he'd be getting all the wind from that, and he'd be coming out with the with the wind to his nose. So I was, it, that was a, a good situation. But yes, I think the closer you can play that line, it, the better. But also, like you know, you got to know where you're going too, because a lot of people try and play that line and get busted right away because they're. Um, so. I I think I look at it a little different. Um, you gotta have that wind. If the deer isn't comfortable and confident with that wind, he's just not gonna use that trail that direction. Dave, if he's not comfortable and confident in where he's going, but I will do everything I can to set up where that wind's not going. Um, if I have to ride the edge, I mean, I've done it before and successfully, and that's where I was really saying earlier, it was when I was riding the edge, I was dropping my windicators and saying, okay, that is where my scent's hitting. I'm right on the edge. I know I can't wait for this gap. It's in this gap or I'm busted. Um, I was right on the edge. That's where the windicator really comes in. Um, yeah. But I try to do everything I can to have them comfortable and me just out of their world really yeah that's i mean that's the general consensus is yeah you don't want them to wind you but a lot of those situations uh i think you know especially like bedding area stuff and you know getting access like the closer you can get and that's the thing some guys like to get too close but um there's many a times where i got you know, wind maybe blowing just north northwest, and that deer is coming from you know straight south. Like so, like it, it, it they're just. But I'm right in that that perfect area. So like there's there's no way they're getting me, but it's close. I mean, like if they did get spooked and pop over there, but um, and that and I think different you know different deer do different things too. To that same point though, you're just trying to manipulate a certain area. Whatever you have to do to make that happen. A lot of times, like if you don't have to, if you if you can get away with your wind blowing the complete opposite direction of where he's coming from, then well, hell yeah, do that. But a lot of the times, it, you find yourself in those situations where, shit, you're like, damn, my wind's gonna be blowing right where he's coming from, and he's doing that for a reason. That's when you have to monitor, monitor. Yeah, the yeah, and then just, just make, you know, every make sure, 15 minutes, I might be checking. The make sure you're good, you know. Edge. Make sure it doesn't change, but. I just want to ask, what's your strategy on when bucks lock down? <laughs> Cody's is run in at them real fast, kick them up, and then go after them after they're working again. But <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I do. Yeah, and and I've gotten close, man. Like I've I've, um, if they're locked down, that's the thing. Okay, this is actually that's an awesome question because there's one thing. I, if they are locked down, there is nothing you're gonna like. And if you're way over there and you know they're locked, like nothing's gonna happen and you know that and you're sitting that you're you're forced to sit in and wait until they're not locked down and that's what I, that's what I hate I hate waiting so yes if the deer are in the lockdown phase and you know that you got to go find them you, you have to like that like get in there and I, yeah I'd run after them get in there you know I mean that doe is gonna dictate everything that's why I hate November but that doe is gonna dictate everything so the closer you can get to that doe the closer you can get to that buck you're better off that's how I look at it um, 
because kind of same type of situation a buddy of mine place he has he it's a uh, switchgrass and something else that the government actually pays and maintains to have on his property well, all the deer hang out in it there ain't nowhere to hunt it so when he goes hunting he jumps in the truck and he drives his truck right through all that switchgrass and kicks all the deer all out of there and back in the timber well now yeah they may be slightly alerted but at least they're in the timber where he can go and try to hunt them yeah. You know, you can't hunt them when they're just locked down, laying out in the middle of a field waiting for dark. <clears throat> yep. Well, there you have it. That was the Benton Roadshow wrapped up. We got into some awesome education in the tree stand hang workshop and demonstrations later in that day. All things you can expect to see when attending one of the Mobile Hunter Roadshow events. Hope you got some good information from this Q&A and... We'll see you next week. Go find some sheds.